It is a totally new space to navigate. And we're putting a huge burden of flawless executive functioning on their part when adults can barely manage this. You know, that's huge, especially if you are in a hybrid or if you are remote. And sometimes, well, many times, students who struggle with executive functioning also have parents that may also be struggling with executive functioning. Hello and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? Teachers, listen up. This coming Thursday and Friday, I will be presenting a teacher-specific workshop, ADHD in the Time of COVID, for the Massachusetts School Administrators Association. And I've just been informed that because it's going to be virtual anyway, the workshop is no longer limited to teachers in Massachusetts. I'm allowed to invite educators from anywhere. So I am. The workshop takes place on Thursday, November 5th, and Friday, November 6th. It will run from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. on both days. The fee is $120 for members of the Massachusetts School Administrators Association and $160 for non-members. The link will be in the show notes if you're interested. And everyone else. The 2020 International Conference on ADHD also starts this Thursday, and it's going to be virtual this year, as you might expect. But that means it's much more accessible than usual. I enjoy myself every year, and I always learn a lot. There's a great mix of the latest research, educational and academic topic discussions, and useful boots-on-the-ground tips. And the topics are split along multiple tracks, including parents, professionals, educators, the layman, and even those who are new to ADHD. I highly recommend attending if you can. And this year, I get to present a unique out-of-the-box topic. I'll be speaking on using Dungeons & Dragons to support executive function and social-emotional skills. And I'll even be running a D&D game for people to check out how to apply what we discuss in the workshop. And of course, don't forget to give a listen to our partner podcasts, the other members of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers is, of course, a phenomenal interview-based show talking about adult ADHD. And Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb is filled with wonderful tips and strategies for anyone with ADHD. And finally, don't forget to check out the ADHD Essentials Facebook community. It's filled with support, strategies, and tips. I'm sure you'll find it useful. The link will be in the show notes. In fact, the link for all of that stuff will be in the show notes. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to my friend, Dr. Noor Ali. Noor is the principal of Alhamra Academy and is an assistant professor at Worcester State University. In today's episode, we look at the effect COVID is having on schools, how they've been planning around a crisis that no one could have been trained for, and trying to create the best case educational scenario given the current circumstances. Noor and I discuss the challenges of leading during a pandemic, such as Managing the logistics of the crisis for teachers, parents, and students, 
including those with executive functioning challenges, while also being cognizant of the anxieties of everyone involved, and hopefully keeping a level head and practicing self-care as much as possible. All right, let's get rolling. So my name is Noor, and I am the principal of Alhamra Academy, which is a private Muslim school in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. I'm also an assistant professor at the Worcester State University and um, do work around social justice and a couple of other things. I'm always amazed at how busy you are. You always have like four or five different things going on. Yeah, I'm I, amazed is not the word I would use. <laughs> I am. I'm like, how is she doing all that stuff? (laughs) She had a kid not that long ago. (laughs) I would use the word burnt. (laughs) That's fair. And that's kind of why I brought you on, not to burn you out further, but because COVID has hit the world and it's especially hammering on schools right now. It's the beginning of the year. You're a principal. So I really just want to get your perspective on how is COVID affecting Alhamra? How is it affecting the staff, the students, you? And you have this administrative perspective, which is unique from the voices that I'm hearing on social media and the news and that kind of stuff. The voice of administration or school administration is a voice that we're really not hearing on social media um, because I think people don't quite understand the work that goes into planning around uh, crises that nobody could ever have been trained for. And administrators usually are the people who are um, stuck with making big decisions that will impact a lot of people, um, but are making these decisions because they are in a situation where, you know, they must move the institution forward or whatever else they might be leading with just creating a, you know, uh, the best case scenario possible given the circumstances. So I think the impact of COVID on schools uh, from both the administrator, the teacher, the student, the parent perspective is pretty obvious to everybody. I mean, you know, one is is the the threat of the virus itself, um, which is uh, which invokes a lot of fear in in people, and rightfully so. And then the other, I think, that <laughs> almost want to say the larger impact is the anxiety that comes with that fear. One is, oh, I don't want to contract the virus. But the other thing is, okay, now how do we work around a situation where there is this uh, virus that is out there? So it really requires a lot of planning, a lot of purposeful uh, thinking that goes into working around any crisis. And of course, it's something that nobody has ever trained for. Like nobody went to teacher school or administrator school and learned how to deal with a pandemic. I think we often expect administrators and Politicians, I'm going to wrap them up in this too. I think we often expect our leaders to know how to handle situations that are significant and crisis-like and that kind of stuff because they kind of are trained to be leaders and to handle a crisis, but then we don't give them any grace at all when it's a crisis that no one has ever experienced before and we don't have training on. Or I shouldn't say no one because certainly people have had to handle epidemics and pandemics and stuff, but nothing at this tier. And I'm kind of frustrated by that. I'm kind of frustrated by the fact that so many people can't step back and say, oh, wait, like the superintendents, the principals, the vice principals, the senators, this is bigger than stuff they've had to deal with before. Yeah, they can handle it when like a bus breaks down. But when the world breaks down, that's a different animal. 
Yeah, it, it totally is a different animal. And anybody who has to take a decision in, in, this, um, in this circumstance is in a very difficult situation because you're, you're, you're making big decisions for a lot of people around you. And, um, you know, that can be perceived in any which way. This is essentially a time where people don't have control over a large chunk of their lives. And then for someone to take a decision about something that is so uncertain is, is like almost double whammy. And I think what administrators are doing across the country is they're not just handling the crisis, like handling the crisis situation and setting up for a safe reopening is one thing. Um, but I think the other work that's happening in the background is addressing or being cognizant of the anxiety of uh, everybody who is around you, um, yourself, your family, your, um, your students, your teachers, your parents, and still keeping a level head, hopefully, in, and steering this in the direction that it needs to go. Um, given the circumstance that we are in. So it, I don't think that this is a situation where one person calls the shots of, you know, this is how it's going to run. There are a set of variables that have been placed before us. Um, there is an expectation of what we need to do. And then we have to figure out how we're going to do it and keep everybody safe. And on top of it, like, you know, there's just a lot on the plate. And I think the summer, honestly, the summer was more intense than, than now <laughs> when the school is open. And that's because we really had to revamp everything during the summer and do a lot of new things. And most people don't like to do new things, right? And you are that person who is now forcing them into doing these new things because there's just no way around it. And as the audience may or may not know, a year ago-ish something, I know time is weird and hard because I have ADHD and also COVID. So let's say a year-ish ago, year and a half-ish ago. I think I'm right. I might be wrong. I was you at Alhamra for a little while. I was sort of two-thirds you. I did the interim principal type work at Alhamra while you were out on maternity leave. And you were doing a lot of background stuff. You were doing a lot of scheduling and paperwork things that I wasn't doing. But I did sort of staff stuff, student stuff, parent stuff, a lot of the ombudsman kind of work. And in doing that, I got to see how stressful and, and busy and how many different things you have to juggle as a principal, right? Helping kids get to class. I'm helping kids behave appropriately in the cafeteria. I'm helping teachers figure out how to get kids to behave appropriately in the cafeteria. I'm helping parents navigate concerns about academics. Teachers navigate sometimes their own anxiety about whatever's going on as well as whatever the issue is. And then there's all this paperwork that you were doing in the background around scheduling testing and, and assessing teachers. And I did a fair amount of teacher assessment as well. And there was a garden being built. There was a path getting built through the woods behind the school so kids could go on nature walks. And then there's stuff you wouldn't even guess, right? Like petitioning the government to help make the left hand turn out of the school parking lot safer. A lot of different things. And I would walk into school every day that I came in and I would say to our secretary, okay, what are the fires? Like, what's the stuff I have to deal with right now? And then I'll get to the stuff that's longer term. And you layer onto all of that that's already there, a global pandemic, concern about getting sick, concern about is my kid going to get sick, 
the teachers that are already anxious about stuff being that much more anxious. Parents are not just anxious about how is my kid doing in school? Does my kid have a learning disability? Why didn't my kid get an A or why didn't they get credit for that assignment? They're also concerned about is my kid going to get COVID? Potentially, why is this kid allowed to come? They, they sneezed once. That's incredible to me. What, what does that look like? What you saw, Brendan, in, 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 your, in, in the months that you were in school was, was not even uh, two-thirds is, is saying that it was a lot. <laughs> you know, I really think what you saw was one-tenth of it um, because there is so much more that happens in the background to bring it to a point where you can take something on in, uh, you know, in, in February um, because it, it's just a crazy amount of directions, a number of directions that you're pulled in, you know, to make anything possible, building inspections, writing grants and all that and in between. So, yeah, I mean, what it looks like really is we first had to plan a lot around a safe return. And for that, you were kind of tied to the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, DESI. DESI really uh, leads the or sets the parameters that you're working around. And then, as is the nature of a pandemic, the parameters are often have to be reevaluated and have to shift. And everybody's going to hate on DESI for like, uh, you know, oh, my God, they're making all these terrible decisions. But really, think if you think of it from the administrative perspective, there's a lot of work that went into creating those parameters based on the information that they had at hand. And yeah, I mean, and, you know, and being a private school, you always have to be a step ahead of DESI as well. Like we had to have, we were having preemptive meetings back in June, imagining what fall is going to look like. And DESI had not set forward any kind of guidance at that point. Um, but we were holding up parent sessions because our school's survival depends on the enrollment. Um, and you want to make sure that, you know, you have all the parents in complete transparency on the same page of where you are. So we really had to envision what this is going to look like before we had any data to work with. Um, so we started there. We had to do basically reconfirmation of enrollment from the students. We had to do reconfirmation of return of staff. Um, then we had to work around what our three different scenarios will look like. Uh, Desi hadn't even put the word hybrid out there. And we were saying it's potentially going to look like a hybrid, a new norm or remote only. And then prepare for all of these three scenarios and be very careful in saying to the parents that this is not to say that uh, the entire 2020-21 academic year will look like this it is possible that the academic year will look like three different things because you might start with bringing people back on campus and then take them out and then do a remote, do a hybrid or whatever, and then to be prepared for it so that you're not caught off guard like we were in March last year, right? So there's all of that. And then there's that whole component of how do you bring people back safely? So remapping the entire classrooms, getting rid of stuff, and moving the tables and the chairs to masking, using masking tape on the floors to make squares to keep them six feet apart, putting sneeze guards on every desk, um, you know, uh, having a whole sanitation process, you know, uh, rethinking about how surfaces are going to be cleaned. And then scheduling. How is the scheduling going to work? And we're doing synchronous uh, learning at Alhambra so that the teachers don't have to double teach their lessons. 
and of course it's you know it's it's a double-edged sword where yeah you're not double teaching the lesson but you are double teaching the lesson in real time right so you're not teaching your remote kids separately from your kids who are on campus but you are teaching two different groups of kids at the same time so there isn't like a sweet spot that could you could uh, possibly work with based on especially the numbers that you have what are the resources that we have at hand how many teachers how many um, students and you know what have you and then the class size a lot of it a lot of mapping around how many students per class how many square feet per class um, how many of them want to be remote only parents changing their minds about oh I wanted to be remote but now I don't it's the night before school uh, can I bring them back on campus no you can't because I mapped the whole thing you know um, so yeah, and then making sure that you know to totally on guard with uh, any symptoms anybody what do you do? Substitutes. Uh, need a lot of substitutes now. And just basically, I think the, the biggest task in all of this was to keep a level head myself, to not let the anxiety ride me. Um, because if that happens, then you can't really be of help to other people. And I think essentially the way I'm handling it is, is not giving myself time to think. You know, you said like how you're amazed by the number of things that uh, that happen or that I'm doing. Part of that almost is a coping mechanism because I'm afraid that if I do slow down and I think about, oh my goodness, I have 140 students here and 28 staff members and each one of them has to be absolutely safe no questions asked just the enormity of it the thought would be like enough to put me down <laughs> so I think a lot of it has to do with like you know how do you keep a level head and just keep moving and you know people's anxiety can ride on you right that's that's super super important if you have a whole bunch of anxious people around you that is a huge burden to carry and in some ways you kind of have to give them that leverage to why don't you just hate on me because it'll take some of that negative energy out of you <laughs> but um, you know you, you just have to you just have, I guess you just have to keep it going there isn't really, I think, another way of doing this at this time, unless everybody was in complete shutdown like we were in March. Uh, but obviously that was not going to be the scenario. So here we are. And I remember when I was doing that, those pieces of your job, that there were plenty of times when I was managing the anxiety of a handful of teachers. And, and sometimes it was go ahead and pointed at me. That's cool. I'm happy to be the bad guy. Sometimes it was me teaching people about anxiety and how it works and how to manage it, which was part of what you brought me in. You were like, you can navigate some of this stuff. You have those chops. I think a lot of it is that, right? So there, there, there are things that you do in the back end, which is true administrative work that you are doing in the background. But those fires that you talk about are they have to be addressed when they come. And that was, you know, part of having you there as interim was exactly that, like that stuff that is time sensitive and that just needs to be, you need to bomb it as quickly as you can. I can't do it from the hospital, right? Um, so you, all of that, um, because if you, if you don't take care of that, you have no boat to sail, <laughs> you know? Um, so, you know, you can build a magnificent thing, but if, all of this is happening and it's your feathers are like totally ruffled, which of course they're going to be in a pandemic. So I think that's really important. So I think part of me has um, in, in all of this process learned to block myself 
into pieces or block parts of me out and, you know, just handle it in a methodical way and, and keep it going. And, and sometimes I feel like I've almost dehumanized myself where I'm being so mechanical in, in, in the way I handle these things. But of course, uh, you know, that that's just the way it is. I have I, actually, when I think about it, like, you know, I see all these teacher memes all the time on social media, like, oh, you know, teachers are having such a terrible time doing all of this. It's so hard. It's so hard. I totally get it, you know, because I've been there, done that. And I can see how crazy it is to be in a room, in one room, masked, screened, whatever, for this X amount of time, teaching two different rooms. I totally get it. So I think this assumption that's in the background, like administration doesn't get it, is wrong, at least in my case. I don't think that I don't get it. I totally do get it. But here's where we are, you know, and I, and I, and I, totally disagree with I actually I think I made a post about this too like you know I finished working at 10 p.m I totally don't want to normalize that and I also don't want to glorify it as like oh my god you're superheroes no we're not superheroes we're humans trying to handle a situation don't glorify and superhero me and then expect me to continue to do this uh, without anything like there's parts of me that I have to really block out to make sure that this you know that we're able to to run this thing as it is this is not normal but neither does should it be glorified and you know I'm actually working on a piece right now where I'm like understanding over appreciation any day of the week understanding over appreciation because a lot of times we're like oh teacher appreciation day or principal appreciation day it's a farce really nobody wants the appreciation at this point what people really are looking for is understanding like understand it because there's nothing more supportive than understanding the situation that people are in or trying to navigate over here teachers they're learning so many new things I mean are you kidding me they're learning how to navigate new curriculums like we have to do a complete new curriculum that would be compatible digitally were we to go remote entirely right? That was what everybody somewhere here was like. All the teachers were working this new curriculum. So they're trying to swim, keep themselves afloat over there, you know, and then the whole pandemic thing, the norms, X, Y, Z, all those things. It's a lot. Yeah. And right now you mentioned you're doing synchronous teaching. Yeah. Just to clarify that for the audience, that means, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. that means that your teachers are teaching kids who are in the classroom as well as kids who are attending class virtually at the same time. Yeah, so basically we're live streaming our lessons from the class to an audience that is, well, there's people in front of us that we're teaching, but there's also an audience that is uh, online. So you can imagine what coordinating that is like, right? Like I need my remote kids to come every Friday to pick up X materials, drop off this. There's stuff that the LMS can hold digitally. There's stuff that can't be done, right? Because not all worksheets are going to be um, digitally compatible to do that. Or if we're going to be doing the science lab, we need to make sure the materials get out to them. It is like uh, planning multiplied by a thousand. Yeah, because I have to know what I'm doing pretty much for all of next week and what pace that's going to hit by Friday if I'm getting the kids the materials for that, the the chemicals or whatever that they can that they're going to use. And I have to figure out, oh, wait, I can't do this science lesson, for example. Because I can't send that chemical home for that experiment. It's not legal. It's only, we're only, only allowed to have it because we're a school. So I have to rethink that whole thing. How am I going to meet that standard? How am I going to get that thing taught if I can't have those kids do it? Oh, how am I going to engage these people? Yeah. How am I going to engage these people with this content if they cannot be involved in X, Y, and Z, right? 
And then you can imagine what a nightmare this is for anyone, period, and then multiply that nightmare for people who have struggles with executive functioning. Because if you have students who are now hybrid, uh, who come some days and don't come some days, because we have that schedule as well based on class size, um, the materials are going home, are they coming back, right? Or those kids who are remote only. It's a, uh, and don't have parental support. And if they're younger, if they're older. So there's everything in between. Um, yeah, because you're, pre you're pre-K through eight. So you've got a wide swath of student ages. Yeah, I'm preschool all the way to eighth grade. And then we, uh, in, in the summer, we also set up an outdoor classroom for the little ones so that they could be outside in a, in a nature classroom. As you were describing the, the synchronous model, the thing that gave me like heart palpitations <laughs> right away was if I were teaching that way, my classroom management would suffer something fierce because it would be really difficult for me. I'd probably figure it, figure it out eventually, but it would be really difficult for me to manage a class in front of me and then turn and look at a screen to manage the kids in that screen class and try to not get sucked out of one because I'm in the other and bal the balancing of that has got to be incredibly challenging. Yeah, it, the balancing is really hard. And then we had to do a lot of prep around that uh, before we started, right? There was a lot of tech training and getting the cameras, the webcam, the getting the speakers, getting the microphones, getting the headsets that will allow them to navigate the space. How do you project? How do you share screen to get both of them in so that you can actually see both of them at the same time? Shifting to fiber optic because we would be running 10 live streams simultaneously and that's going to be a bandwidth killer. How do you set up the room with this cart that's doing all of this piece for you, right? How do you do audio checks and whatever? So there's way more than one thing that we had to think about. And the expense of it, right? Like just shifting the fiber optic is that's a lot of money. And for me, like my best case scenario in this situation that I'm realizing as I'm talking would be to have a big screen TV kind of thing where all my digital students are on a big screen in the back of the room or on the side of the room so I can see them and see my in-person students at the same time. That's pricey. I don't know that that's even feasible for most schools. Yeah. And then the other thing is, is that that thing has to be hooked up to two devices, right? Because if you're sharing screen, you want the ones who are in class to be able to share the screen as well. How effective is it to write on a physical whiteboard as opposed to a virtual whiteboard and project that to both your classes so that the resolution is good enough for those who are at home as well as the ones who are in class? So a lot of work that went into ironing just that detail up. That's wild. And that's just like you said, that's one piece. That's not even... That was one piece. You had to create an entire protocol of if then, if then what? Who is close contact? What is the procedure going to be like for that? What is the notification of the parents going to look like? You know, what are the things we're going to set in place to make sure people are following the travel ban or, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, because you've got parents who are from all over the place. Yeah, if you go to one of the states that has a travel ban to Massachusetts, then you got to make sure that you are, you know, that they're giving you the 14-day quarantine and then the mandate of the flu shot. Uh, we had to set up full clinic to make sure that, you know, we were making it accessible for people. And just a lot of concerns around equity and flexibility. It's really hard for teachers to shift gears, mental gears around, okay, these are kids at home and are now going to run into accessibility issues that they would not have if they were on campus. And at the same time, some of the kids who you want on campus, you can't have them on campus because the parents are opting for remote only. 
right? So that's it. That's chapter closed. I can't kind of have them change their mind about please bring your child to campus. I mean, I'd be dead mute if I did that, you know. So uh, yeah, there's. I mean, I think there's just a lot of components to navigate around that. And then the big piece that we're not thinking about is the students. That's paramount. Like we can, we are all adults, so we're all thinking like adults here. We're thinking about parental anxiety around your own children, teacher anxiety around work environment changing, administrative anxiety around pacifying everybody and making it move forward. But there's that whole kids piece. I think that the brilliance of this whole situation is that I almost feel that the children's piece has been the easiest because they are so resilient and so flexible in more cases than not. You know, yeah, there's going to be some kids who are going to have a hard time wearing their mask. I get that. But if you look at the overwhelming majority of students, they understand that they have to wear a mask and they will wear it. And we saw such a big to-do on social media on how kids are going to struggle with their masks and they're going to want to pick their noses and blow their noses. And, you know, you saw all of those funny videos that were coming up. They're going to trade masks. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I would not have concerned myself making those videos because really, no, not so much. I think the adults had more of a hardship uh, adjusting to this than the children did, honestly, you know, and yes, there are some kids who for them, this, the, just the stimulation of it is so different or the lack of stimulation or whatever you want to call it, or the, the physical contact of the mask is problematic or whatever. And that's why the remote option had to be there, right? I've had students where I've just had to say, I'm sorry, X is just not ready to come to school. And this is just not something I can compromise on. We can't be experimenting with the mask. If we can't wear it, the child is too young. We have to keep them home. And that's why the synchronous option is there. I don't think that that area has been as problematic as we thought it would be. But is this a new space for kids to navigate? Absolutely, yes. It is a totally new space to navigate. And we're putting a huge burden of lawless executive functioning on their part when adults can barely manage this. You know, that's huge, especially if you are in a hybrid or if you are remote. If you ended up getting all five days on campus, which happened for a lot of my students because my rooms were large enough, the student number was small. I could get people for all five days in many, many classes. But there are also several classes where I can't have everybody on campus, right? So now for those kids, there's that additional piece. And sometimes, well, many times, students who struggle with executive functioning also have parents that may also be struggling with executive functioning and, yeah. and cannot offer that kind of support. So the parents are like, oh my God, I had no idea this was due. And you're like, mm -hmm, yes, you did it. <laughs> Neither did your child. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's where my my questions are headed, right? When it comes to students, that's that's some stuff I'm thinking about. The two... The two main areas and pick one and go wherever you want. And we'll circle back to the other one later. One of my thoughts is when you've got kids who are coming in virtually and they've got executive functioning challenges. So mom and dad probably do too, or mom and dad are just flat out busy with work stuff and can't support their kids. What does that component look like in terms of the virtual side of stuff? And then on the in-person school side of stuff, I'm curious to hear what the social aspect of school is like because school is such a huge part of a kid's social life. And in my head, I don't know how you do that right now. Yeah, I'll give you a sweet story for that. So I have two kindergartners who are both remote and have both never met each other. So they're both new to the school. 
and they're both remote only and they're best friends. <laughs> It's so cute watching them on the screen because they'll be like, you know, when it's recess time or something, you can see their moms talk to each other on, on Zoom as well. Like, can I have your phone number? Maybe you can do a play date or something like that. They've never met in real life, um, but they're best friends because they see each other on the screen every day and they know that the rest of the kids are on site. Um, so I think that in some ways, those kids who are remote only have kind of, you know, are kind of learning to huddle together. And then there are those kids who are remote on, you know, some days of the week uh, when they're on campus and then they're remote. And for them, it's more kind of like a pause button on that social thing, like, okay, we're going to be back tomorrow on campus. The other big piece for the social interaction is I think everybody was craving the human connection and being on campus for whatever number of days is, is really pleasant to them. Recess we knew was going to be hard, and it is. But one of the things we did at recess time is, is that we color-coded and blocked off the recess into 10, the hard top and the soccer field and whatever, into 10 distinct areas. And then every grade can have two areas at any given recess and keep their cohort in those designated spots so that the cohorts are not mixing amongst themselves, right? Like the first graders are not playing with the second graders. And I know that's sad, but if ever there was something that we needed to contact tracing, it would be a nightmare if, you know, we had the cohorts also mingle. So that's one thing. Everybody's eating lunch at their desks behind their sneeze guards. That's different. It's quiet lunch and re um, snack time now. They can't talk when they're having lunch or snack. That is really problematic, but they've developed sign language and moves and dance moves that they use to communicate with each other during lunch. And then, yeah, I think the virtual piece, we definitely see um, the, an exacerbation in terms of executive functioning issues and just you know, where is that thing? Or, oh my God, I was supposed to bring it to school the next day. Or that was, I think, to be expected, but it does add an additional thing to the teacher's plate, right? Where they're now they're trying to, I mean, they can only help these kids so much if they're seeing them 50% of the time in real face-to-face -face or not seeing them at all if they're remote only. So that's definitely really hard. Yeah, I would imagine that. It sounds incredibly challenging, right? Because Teachers at the start of the year establish all these routines yeah. to make sure our school goes smoothly, to make sure stuff gets turned in on time, to make sure behavior is appropriate. And when you've got a hybrid model or, a, or an asynchronous model, or I'm sorry, a synchronous model, you have to establish twice as many routines because, and, and sort of even more than that, you have to establish the school routine, but you also have to help kids establish routines at home to make sure they bring stuff in or, or do the thing they're supposed to do while they're not online or whatever. And those home systems are all going to be different depending on what's looking like at home. They are. And there's so many variables there. And really, it, it's, it's about treading your space as well, right? Like you don't want to step on somebody's toes. But if your child is like in, a, in, a, in an office chair with wheels, probably not working out <laughs> too good. You know, so... Uh, or how do you keep an eye on the ones who are online and say, hey, I think it's time for you to take a water break or something like that, you know? It's just a whole lot more to navigate. I can't even say that it's double the navigation. I think it's as many kids you have, that's how much the navigation is multiplied by. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so how's the year going? <laughs> You really want to ask me that? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's I think it's going I don't want to jinx it, but it's going so much better than what I thought it would be like. I think I went through the hardest time um, during the summer 
And I think that because there was so much attention to detail in the summer, we had a smoother sailing than I would have expected. Is this smooth? Is it easy? No, absolutely not saying that. Um, but I'm just saying that this would have been uh, absolute and complete utter madness or disastrous had there not been that attention to detail over the summer. And I see that, like I see schools uh, or districts. And this is, I mean, for me, I think the, the, the positive that we have is that we're so small that we can afford to be nimble. We can afford to be agile and flexible and, you know, go this way. Or I think that when you have a large district and you have hundreds of teachers and thousands of students, it's just that much harder to have that kind of attention to detail. And that's why you see schools struggling right now. And then also, I think in the public school system, they were really not making any preemptive decisions because they're bound by what Desi says. So I think a lot of the decisions were delayed. And therefore, a lot of the when decision making is delayed, you have that much less time to adjust or to learn, right? Uh, whereas in our case, if you know we decided back in June that we're going to change the curriculum, okay, then we had July and August to work it. Um, but I know of districts that made their decision to purchase a new curriculum, the same curriculum as us, in August, in mid-August. Oh wow! Yeah, and uh, our teachers are like, well, how are they going to navigate that this quickly? You know, and, and then you kind of you see that in the you see that in the instructional practice, you see it impact everything. It's just the anxiety is, is so different then. Right. So I think I mean, it, it, it's, it's going well so far. We are all I mean, we are bound by what the town looks like as well. So even though Alhambra is uh, clear and, you know, uh, you know, we've been healthy, if the town's numbers change significantly and it becomes uh, it is a yellow town right now, if it becomes a red town, then of course we would have to reevaluate it because that means that there are too many cases around us. Like Justin Shrewsbury, I think we have crossed 400 cases since October 1st, COVID positive cases. You know, being a private school, yes, you can make your own decisions, but you can imagine, I don't want to make a decision that would be a standalone decision if the district went another way. Because obviously, you know, I, I tell this to People often, COVID is not lingering the hallways of a school. COVID is lingering in the community and you bring it to a school, right? Uh, it's not like, oh, it's in the school and everybody who goes there is going to get it. It's outside and you can bring it to the school and then a lot of people could get it. And so if people are not cognizant of risk mitigation in their private and personal lives, then you are, you're screwed right? So for example, I could be socially distancing my kids six feet every breathing moment and putting sneeze guards and having their masks on and sanitizing their hands and whatever. But if on the weekend, you're going to be going and partying with your friends and you're going to be less than six feet apart and you're not going to have masks on and you're all going to eat from, you know, you're going to use the same serving spoon or whatever, then that's something I can't control. And that doesn't have anything to do with the setup that I have over here, right? So that's where the risk is increased, is the choices that families are making in their personal lives, not understanding that it impacts every social space that their family is then going to go into, right? So having said that, now, even if I have perfect risk mitigation within the school, but if the district of Shrewsbury itself uh, goes into red, then we can say that the virus is a very 
uh, cute presents all around us and I will not be able to bubble wrap myself. And I will most likely have to take the same decision that the district takes. Right. That makes sense. Speaking of risk mitigation and bubble wrapping yourself, what are you doing for self-care? How are you taking care of yourself? Besides just being so busy that you can't think about anything. But what are you doing to take care of you? And this like this comes from a place of love, obviously, because I care about you. So where's what's that look like? Of course. I know. I, I honestly, uh, not enough. I can tell you that. Uh, I am definitely not doing enough to take care of myself. And I am acutely aware of that. Um, and I'm afraid that I am uh, going to become resentful of that as well. But I think I'm very in tune with how I'm feeling. And so, you know, I'm not caught by surprise, like, oh, how, where did that come from? You know, so I am acutely aware of um, what my own experience is like right now. I think one of the things that has helped me stay sane has been, has been the baby. Um, Because when I go home, she's 19 months now, and her universe is her universe. And you cannot help but be sucked into it. You, you cannot ignore that universe, right? So when you're there and you look at your phone and she screams, like, why are you looking at your phone? You can't allow that to continue. You can't allow her to keep screaming. So I think that kind of forces me to, okay, there's no way I'm going to get any work done because, you know, Amal needs me. Uh, or she just wants to hang out with me. And I, I, I do feel like I'm compromising a lot on the family. And they've all been real troopers, you know, and, and how much of me that they've had to give up on. And that, I think, is a huge toll uh, on the family itself. And, of course, it's something that, you know, largely goes unnoticed. And that's what I talk about. Like, it's, it's not about appreciating someone. It's about understanding, you know, where they're coming from or what they're doing. And I think there's two very, very different things. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I love fall. I'm, you know, I also resent that fall goes away too quickly. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't get to see enough of it. But yeah, I'm clearly not doing enough to take care of myself. I just hope that there will be a time where I will be able to pause a little bit and uh, take a breather. I hope you do, because it sounds like you need it. And and I know (laughs) from Facebook, I know from Facebook that you were you went over to a local park and kind of hung up by the, by the pond and walked in the woods a little bit um, with your daughter. And that's great. And I just do do more of that. I guess I want to encourage you to take care of yourself because it's important. Nature's a good way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think in, in, in this whole summer, you've kind of lost all semblance of a weekend or, uh, you know, or all of those things because we pretty much had to work nonstop. Like I remember uh, <laughs> the chairperson of our board, uh, Harun and I have worked really closely for navigating this entire pandemic. And it really is helpful because he's an epidemiologist. Wow. Yeah. So I think we just got lucky like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember one of the uh, summer weekends, I was like, okay, I think I'm going to take Sunday off. How, how weird does that sound? I said, I think I'm going <laughs> to take this Sunday off. And you know what he said to me? He said, no, how about you take the rest of Saturday off after we've held the parent information session in the morning? (laughs) And this conversation seemed normal to us when we were having it. And then I was like, how abnormal was this conversation to have that we are saying, okay, we can give ourselves like five hours after Saturday's morning session to decompress, but we certainly can't take Sunday off because we have to get back to school and 
uh, measure the classrooms and make squares on the floors. But I think one thing that's really been helpful is, is we had we had a group of volunteers at the school, three uh, guys, old, old members of our community. I cannot wrap my head around how these guys gave us so much time. Like I have absolutely, in reality, I'm usually good with words, but I absolutely do not have any words that will wrap my gratitude that I have for them. Like I could not possibly have opened this place if I did not have their support. So I think it's really important to have that support system. I think it's also really important to not take feedback personally. That's been a huge learning curve for me, right? People are anxious, not because of you. People are anxious because of the pandemic. And to keep those two things separate has been really hard for me to do personally, but it's something that I'm learning to do. You didn't bring the pandemic on. You're just handling a circumstance and you can take it in that stride. And then don't think about your support system. Don't have any thoughts about them really in this time. Like cut everybody a lot of slack in this pandemic, really. You know, because there's no way anyone can, oh, if somebody says, we are your tribe, and I see a lot of that on social media, we are a tribe or whatever, and then you see somebody in the tribe not following through, it's okay, you know, because everybody is really going through a really hard time. And this is not representative of what people are like, mostly in their, you know, everybody's trying to navigate this very difficult time in their own ways. I'm going to circle back to my self-care thought really quick because I have an idea that might be helpful if that's okay. Okay. So as you know, I'm homeschooling my boys. Yeah. And one of the things that has made homeschooling easier is like an outside classroom kind of thing where we're doing whatever we're doing, but we'll go to like a local park or something and do it there instead of doing it at home. If you have like work with your epidemiologist crew member <laughs> that you can do somewhere outside until it gets too cold. That might be a way to at least break it up and make it feel like you're having an adventure, even if you're still just doing office work. I don't know if that's helpful or not, but. No, it, it is helpful. I think any kind of uh, step away from the desk, step, step away from the inside spaces, I think is really important. Yeah, we have like three weeks left of that, but. <laughs> yeah, for the longest time, I was holding this grudge against the universe that I didn't get to go anywhere this summer and I don't have time to read a book or, you know, take pictures as much as I like to photograph. But holding a grudge really doesn't do anything <laughs> except make you feel worse. I think it's really important to realign, to refocus the lens and, and look at the work that has been done as opposed to the opportunities that I might have missed, you know, and to see value and worth in, okay, this is great. You know, who would have thought that we'd be able to navigate through this incredibly weird situation at least till now. I think that one of the things I can certainly improve on is celebrating or acknowledging the work that I have done myself. I think that that, is really critical. It sounds like you've done some amazing work. It's been crazy, yeah. I'm <laughs> I'm really impressed and proud of you. So you need to be really impressed and proud of yourself. Thank you. I don't think we do that enough. And I think it's also a cultural thing, right? I think it has a lot to do with the uh, with our upbringing. I think just culturally speaking, we're always we kind of learn to undervalue ourselves. I think that's a huge lesson that I've really thought about in this pandemic. 
is like okay no think about it <laughs> crazy stuff yeah uh, you know and you're navigating it effectively you're you're steering an entire school through a global pandemic with massive changes and you're doing it well and you're doing it effectively that's awesome yeah and is everyone going to be happy is everyone you know are there going to be unicorns and rainbows no they're not it's still going to be a pandemic it's still going to be hard people are still going to be anxious people are still going to be unhappy and that's the nature of a pandemic it doesn't come to make people happy <laughs> so yeah I, I, but you get a little more direct feedback on unhappiness too right cuz you're theoretically your parents can be like we're gone we're leaving in a way that a public school can't yeah i mean i if i had a 186 last year i have 146 this year that's a kid of 40 students right there smack yeah you know and now you couple that with the expense of the cleaning the tech the curriculum change you're talking a lot of money spent yeah. to just keep it rolling honestly 40 parents 40 families bouncing that doesn't feel like a big number to me that i mean it probably does to you but but that feels like a reasonable number of people than leave during a pandemic that doesn't seem crazy to me yeah and if i analyze the if i analyze those numbers a little bit more i feel a little bit better because most of those kids or at least half more than half of those kids were preschoolers and that's a very obvious decision to make for your little ones where you're like mm, if preschool is all supposed to be about socialization and there are going to be x number of uh restrictions to how socialization can now look like then is it really worth it should i not just homeschool my kid or just keep them at home you know and i think that's a, that uh, that's told i mean that there's nothing unreasonable about it you know at all in that choice in particular so yeah i mean i i can certainly explain that number to myself but um I mean of course it does have a financial impact right and then the other big financial whammy is just the expenses are so much more than they ever would be so just being mindful of time yes absolutely do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience yeah maybe a piece of advice would be to keep a clear head really to everybody their parents listening or or teachers or administrators or whoever is listening i think it's really important to keep a clear head make time to sit back a little bit and do some perspective taking for what this looks like for everybody else like if you looked at the town's facebook page brendan you can see the tizzy that everybody is in you know i left the town facebook page <laughs> i'm so glad you did i'm so glad when well, i have to do it cuz i kind of like try to keep a finger on the pulse of you know what other parents are feeling in the public school system or whatever but it's my research uh, material <laughs> but everybody is in in a real tizzy about oh my god can't get online schoology is not working xyz and of course when you're in the problem you are in the problem you're consumed by it is it helpful to be consumed by it hey you're still here nice Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan@adhdessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website adhdessentials.com and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.